Just then, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So last week, in response to the apparent ridiculousness of our reading about Jonah, remember, man swallowed by fish, man lives inside fish, man spit out by fish, and so on, uh, we talked about the quote-unquote progressive or deconstructionist, revisionist urge to try to ignore or get around parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand or that seem unbelievable, things like a worldwide flood, Jesus' miracles and resurrection, or God using a great fish to teach Jonah a lesson about grace and forgiveness. We also talked about the need to accept the biblical witness, because we need a God who can work miracles, especially the miracle of our salvation in Christ. And today... It seems to me that we have a story before us that has a similar message to preach, a message that's just as hard to hear and is just as relevant to our world today. But instead of being about the uncomfortable or hard to believe things outside of us, like great fish and resurrections, this passage preaches a difficult truth that's a little bit closer to home. This story about Jesus and a man possessed by an unclean spirit has something to say, I think, about what's inside of us, our sin nature, and what has to happen to it. Spoiler alert, it cannot be accommodated or affirmed. Instead, it must be killed, destroyed, but destroyed so that in Christ, we can be given a new nature, a new life, a resurrection. Now, this story, this interaction that Jesus has with this demon-possessed man is pretty much the first story that Mark tells about Jesus. We're in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, as you notice. He mentions Jesus' baptism briefly, mentions his temptation in the wilderness even more briefly, doesn't mention his conception, birth, or childhood at all. And after summarizing his preaching in just a sentence, the time is at hand, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the gospel, Mark is now ready to get what actually seems to excite him. Jesus in action. Mark is through with prologue and here tells the first story of Jesus on his mission, the kind of story that Mark is going to fill his narrative with. Mark is action-packed, and the action begins right here. Jesus, in a synagogue, teaching, as he did each week on the Sabbath, and everyone is astounded 
at the authority with which he teaches. And on this particular morning, there is in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And what I'd like us to focus on this morning is what this unclean spirit says to Jesus. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This evil spirit, this demon, clearly recognizes Jesus for who he is, but he doesn't call him any sort of honorific like Messiah or Son of God or seek to engage him on the spiritual plane as some kind of equal. He calls him the Holy One of God and asks if he has come to destroy him. And basically, the answer is yes. That's exactly what I have come to do. To this unclean spirit, Jesus is dangerous. Jesus spells the end. And so Jesus rebukes the spirit saying, be silent, come out of him. And with writhing and a shriek, the spirit leaves the man. And thus Mark, writing the story of almighty God come to earth in the flesh, begins the action with a battle royale between clean and unclean. Of course, clean and unclean are not concepts reserved to the pages of Scripture. I um, have been using my children in sermon illustrations here and there, and I thought today I would um, expose myself um, rather than my kids. When I was a kid, when I was a certain age, perhaps some of you youngsters in the congregation this morning will identify with this, I hated to take a shower. <laughs> hated it. Tried to refuse. I needed to look like I had just escaped from Shawshank Prison in order to admit that I needed to be clean. If I couldn't see actual dirt on my body, I must be clean, right? I was addicted to claiming about my body and everything else that I was fine just the way I was. That this unclean thing, me, was clean. Now, before we really get going this morning, I feel like a couple of clarifications are in order. When I talk about clean and unclean, at least in the context of Mark chapter 1 and this unclean spirit, I'm obviously not talking about showering or physical dirt on the body. But I'm not talking about kosher laws and unclean old covenant foods that God declares clean on account of Christ either. That's not in view here. That's a totally different topic for a totally different sermon coming soon to a pulpit near you. I'm also, as we talk about our human claim that we're fine just the way we are, I'm not talking about Stuart Smalley and his assertion that you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. In a worldly sense, self-acceptance and self-confidence is a good thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking this morning about nothing less than your eternal soul. Is it clean? Is it okay just the way it is? And the unavoidable biblical answer is no. 
But don't we so desperately want to say yes? We've been claiming, you and I, humanity, that our sins are actually righteous, that our unclean is actually clean since the beginning, right? Adam and Eve ate that fruit, but that was the snake's fault. Cain killed Abel, but God's valuation of his sacrifice wasn't fair. You may had an affair, you stole from the company, you lied to a loved one, but, 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 because, because, because somehow in your case, it was okay, defensible, clean. The sins du jour, of course, the sins of the day are the sins of identity and sexuality. Perhaps people will say, God made statements when he created us, Male and female, he created them, called it very good that a man should leave his father and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, man and woman, married for life. But just like the attempts to turn Jonah into a fable, progressive or deconstructing people find a way to say, if it feels right to me, it must be okay with God. Since this lifestyle or worldview or whatever makes me happy, God must bless it. It doesn't matter what I read in some old book about what's unclean. Indeed, if that old book can even be trusted, I know better. And I know I'm clean. It feels too right to be wrong. As... DC Talk said so long ago in their song, Socially Acceptable, it was taboo back then, but today we say, what the hey? But Jesus, Jesus will not lie to the unclean. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, even the demons don't make this mistake. Faced with Jesus in the flesh, the Holy One of God, they don't attempt to recast their evil as good. They don't try to claim that really, when you take all the cultural differences into consideration, they should be blessed by God. No. They know that Jesus has come to root out and destroy evil and that therefore their days are numbered. Have you come to destroy us? Yes. This is Jesus' first job, to convince you that you are unclean. That you, to put it another way, need a Savior. Now, his second job is to save you, and we'll get there, I promise. But we can't skip over this first step. That Jesus' first job is to call attention to your need, to your sin. To call an unclean thing, unclean. He does not say, what the hey? He does here the furthest thing from affirming, that is, lying to this man with an unclean spirit. Rather than telling him that he's fine just the way he is, Jesus reveals that indeed he has come to destroy. 
and to make new. That he is the holiness that destroys unholiness. That he is the cleanliness that will scrub away uncleanliness. That he is himself the righteousness that burns away unrighteousness. To the unclean, Jesus is dangerous. Now, if Jesus' job, his first one anyway, is to convince you that you're a sinner, your first response, like mine, ordinarily is to reject the whole idea. This is what today's false teachers, even the ones who call themselves Christians, and brag about how loving they are and how welcoming their churches are. This is what false teachers want to help you say, that you're clean now, that you're okay just the way you are, that whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, that's what God blesses. They would have us be like that rich young man that Mark will tell us about in chapter 10, who said to Jesus' face, That he'd been keeping the whole law for his whole life, since childhood. A sinner? Me? No way. We hate being called sinners. And we usually react when someone dares to do it, just like this unclean spirit in Mark chapter 1, with writhing and screeching. Now, our writhing and screeching takes a particular form. It's usually in the form of a desperate argument that we try to make with intricate and acrobatic reasoning. The case that the unclean thing we're doing is actually not unclean at all. Like I said, this is perhaps most easily and obviously seen today in the world's discussion of sex. But if you look for it, you will see this everywhere. The Bible, people say, was written so long ago. What's clean and unclean has changed since then. It was taboo back then, but today we say, what the hey? In fact, what we say today isn't only what the hey. The world today, in fact, would have us believe that the only unclean thing is to call anything unclean. It's not unclean, the world shrieks, for us to decide right from wrong. We sew fig leaves together and protest that we are not naked. God speaks and the world argues. It doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. That doesn't feel loving to me. But God's word stands and will brook no disagreement. What the Holy One has called unclean is unclean despite the ferocity of the world's gnashing of teeth. And so there we sinners so often find ourselves closing our eyes, plugging our ears, finding short-term enjoyment in something that will kill us and send us to hell, protesting all the while that everything is fine. Now, before we get too carried away with the finger pointing. It's very easy, of course, for us to look at other people and think that they are the stubborn sinners ignoring God's announcement about clean and unclean, righteous and sinful. 
To think of other people as those false teachers without realizing that we have our very own little false teacher right inside our heads. Now to be sure, we are called to stand up for the word of the Lord. As our reading this morning from Deuteronomy made clear, I will raise up for them, says the Lord, a prophet like you, Moses, from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of that prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. Truth exists, and we are called to proclaim it no matter how unpopular it gets. But make no mistake, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us in our own ways seek to justify ourselves before God, claiming that we are clean. But as the witness of Scripture attests, no one can stand before the righteousness of God. Psalm 130, one of the psalms of ascent that our women are praying through this semester. Psalm 130 says, If you, O Lord, kept track of iniquities, then who could stand? On our own, we are all lost. I promised you good news. Jesus' second job. His first job is to be honest. To call an unclean thing unclean. And then to destroy it. But he does not stop there. Here's your good news this morning. Even we who protest that God, who protest what God says and try to define clean for ourselves, even we are not outside the reach of Jesus' saving and redeeming embrace. Though we all have our eyes covered and our ears plugged, desperate for anyone to tell us, like today's false teachers and the false teacher inside your head are so willing to do that we're okay just the way we are, there is good news even for us. Jesus has more to say than the destruction of the unclean. That's the way that Mark begins his action-packed gospel story. But this is a story that ends with the final act, Jesus' saving death and resurrection. That's the real plan for making unclean people clean. By making them altogether new. Our Savior explains himself throughout the scriptures, both through his own words and those of his apostles. I came for sinners, he says. Anyone can be for a righteous person. They don't need me. The healthy have no need of a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. And at just the right time, I died for the ungodly, for the unclean, for the unholy. I gave my life so that sinners could be redeemed. Made new, resurrected. So open your eyes, unplug your ears. Jesus has come so that you could be born again. So, how is it that you really become clean? 
Not by protesting, as tempting as it might be, that you already are. No. Pretending will not do. Instead, you must be made new. The Holy One of God comes and destroys the unclean, but then raises you to new life. Have you come to destroy us? Wonders the unclean spirit that morning in the synagogue. Yes, says the ministry of Jesus. The prophet Malachi calls this a refiner's fire, burning the old down and making room for the new. And so it is that the burning and destroying work of the Holy One of God are not the end of the story. This lie that the world tells us, helping us to build up the facade of our own righteousness, the assertion that we're okay just the way we are, this lie is destroyed and we are offered something new, something that will give life, something clean. In a few minutes, we'll come up here to the communion table and eat bread and drink wine. Bread and wine that Jesus called his body and blood, broken and shed for the sins of the world. Whenever you eat and drink, he told us, remember me. Remember your old life. How much time you spent pretending to the world and to yourself That you were clean. I have, Jesus says, something actually clean to offer you. I give you myself. This is my body. Behold, I am making all things new. A new you. One who will feast at Christ's table forever has been born. That unclean spirit was exactly right. Jesus has come to destroy. He destroys the unclean in you and with it the desire to sustain yourself on anything other than him. But after destruction comes resurrection. After Good Friday comes Easter Sunday. After death comes new life. Jesus takes the unclean to the cross with him. And gives you a real and forever clean in exchange. A clean that can never be tainted. So stop pretending. Confess your sins and ask God for forgiveness. He is faithful and true and will forgive every single time. Come to the table, eat and drink. Taste new life given to you. Reaffirm your faith with us in the creed. Ask God to remind you of what he has accomplished for you. Remember that though you were once so unclean that you could be more accurately described as dead in trespasses and sins, you have now been raised to new life in Christ. He is clean. And he has given that cleanliness, his own cleanliness, to you. Thanks be to God. Amen.